you know, it's this spiraling ascension of gnosis. And when you think about it, it really characterizes the structure of most secret societies. And there's this desire to attain higher rational union and the totality of truth that I think, you know, depicts what Nimrod was after just as much as it does what Hegel was after. And it's no wonder that the Illuminati has used this dialectic to manipulate humanity. You see, the dialectic has become this strategy to control the masses. Now, as I mentioned, the dialectic has a thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, but an easier way to think of that is a problem, reaction, and solution. So Nephilim hosts or the global elite, they create the problem that leads to a reaction in the masses and that drives the masses towards the determined or the predetermined outcome that will benefit the elite. One of the things that Hegel did as, as how he performed his sorcery is he used language. He overwhelmed his readers with this indigestible vocabulary, you know, just exhibiting his high intellect and it left the readers dazed and confused. Well, Vogelin himself, the professor from Stanford, he says that he avoided Hegel for quite some time for that very reason, because he's so difficult to understand. But thankfully, Vogelin, you know, picked it up and helped us all understand Hegel. But here's what Vogelin asserts. He says, once you've entered the magic circle, the sorcerer has drawn around himself, you are lost. Now, I would add, certainly lost for a time, yes, but not lost forever because there is a way out of the magic circle. The history of our Earth is so different from what we can imagine. Enjoy the journey. The Smithsonian, that if they found out about a large skeleton somewhere, was to go get it. I'm going to assume at least one person is right, because if one person's right, it busts the paradigm. It all goes back to the fallen chair. And the problem with the modern-day church, they have a very truncated view of the supernatural. This backdrop that's just pregnant with all kinds of meaning associated with this Mount Hermon event. And this guy defects from the kingdom. That's a big deal. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Blurry Creatures. We are a paranormal podcast, but we don't shy away from the biblical truth. And we have sort of an 80s theme here. show's been growing a lot. A lot of people are listening to this podcast now, and Luke and I are just blown away by how many people who are sharing the show and getting blurry and sending us their stories. We have Dr. Laura Sanger on the podcast again this week. She's been on the show many times talking about giants, genetics of the Nephilim, um, the Federal Reserve, 
and other blurry topics. Yeah, if you want to sponsor the show, go to blurrycreatures.com slash members, become a member. As you can tell, there's no ads on our podcast. You know, we try to keep this place ad-free so people can listen. And then your membership helps keep keep it a good listening experience for those who can't afford the membership. We understand that, you know, it's not easy for everyone to support all these podcasts. But if you support ours, can't say thank you enough. Blurrycreatures.com slash members. We still have a few tickets left for Costa Rica. So head over to the website. Let's get Dr. Laura on this one. Last time we hung out, though, we were in person, so. I know. That was amazing. Yeah. So we were, we're, we're fresh off BlurryCon. We had a great, a great time there. It was fun. We did, we did the VIP event with you. We met your whole family. Mm-hmm. We all hung out and talked, and then there was a Q&A there with all the guests. And then the next day, we actually did the conference, and uh, Laura was gracious enough to be teleported through a, a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> first time ever <laughs> i was in that phone booth i'm like i hope i can figure out how to get out oh. of here i mean it was easy but you know <laughs> between that and in the uh in the big head we had all the big heads everybody yeah. with 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 yeah. uh bigfoot running running across the stage yeah you guys were all uh, like good spirits for putting up with our crazy our crazy shenanigans you know we just try to make it fun that's what we try to do here it was it was thanks for doing that it was definitely meaningful too Mm. i mean not only fun but very meaningful so you guys did a great job we don't take ourselves too seriously but we definitely take the content seriously and sometimes when you have these heavy topics you know we try to i don't try to lighten it up a little bit because it can get dark and get heavy and it can be overwhelming so that's kind of how we how we take it so it's just it's cool that everyone was uh, willing to go along with it. I love it because I'm always memeing our guests, and I'm like, I don't know what people think <laughs> about us, but you know, if they don't have, if they don't like what we do, they're probably not going to come back anyway. So <laughs> let's just let's just go with it. But Laura, you're, you're well, I'm ready kind. for BlurryCon 2.0. Oh my, so bring it! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she's ready. We, we need to start planning so I don't I don't lose my lose all of my hair this time yeah um, <laughs> laura's gonna dig out of, she'll dig out of a snow cave to make it to the next one is, that's right <laughs> <laughs> no but dr laura you are a uh, you're a fan favorite here yeah and, and you know everybody rightly loves your episodes and, and loves you i mean it was unbelievable actually to see the people that were just clamoring to to meet you and see you and, and not to toot your own horn but you also have you're about you're about to have the most downloaded episode on our podcast our episode we did with l the hitler project is very close to overtaking it's number two most downloaded to be number one i think it'll happen in the next month or so so it's been a pleasure I, it's always fun i know we text about this stuff but just to, to think back about how we found each other and really because of your book the roots of the federal reserve and you're just such a wonderful person and you have this countenance and, and, and way about you, I think, that, that resonates with people. And I think people got to see it in person at the conference. And so I know that we're just grateful to be friends and mm-hmm. to get to know you and, and to have Amazon, for all its evils, Jeff Bezos actually <laughs> facilitated us like finding each other, which I think is incredible. <laughs> and we're just, we're grateful for your time yeah. um, and, and for the work you do. I think it's so, it's so important. And I think the, that the way it resonates, I think it 
speaks for itself. We're just excited to be to kind of be along for the for the ride with you as as your work is is really spreading. And and I know that you you've just got to do a bunch of cool things in the last year. And and I know that the work is piling up for you. And your books getting translated into Spanish. And you have the audio book out now. And so just super cool. We're just, we're pumped for you. I, I think that the more people that get to hear get to hear hear you and your insight and your teaching, the better. And just fun that we got to we've got yeah. to become friends over the last couple of years. I think we're we're grateful for that. I, yeah. I think Laura's worship records about to come out with all these these worship people she's making, <laughs> making friends with. When are you putting out your record, Laura? Yeah, right. You're gonna co-write on all these records. Yeah. This will be like a it'll be like a remember the Wow records from yeah. the uh, oh yeah every day every day some famous for people listening every day a famous Christian artist is reaching out to her or us and saying you know introducing themselves. So there's there's like we this, love Laura. There's this big yeah. big underground following. Yeah. So Laura's going to be, she's going on tour soon. She doesn't even <laughs> know it yet. It's going to happen. I don't know it, but Jehovah Sneaky is up to something. That's for sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Which is funny because, you know, yeah. it's it's like, I, I think it's cool that a lot of these worship leaders, they're they're getting blurry behind the scenes. And it seems like there's a there's a familiar theme of people want the truth. People People have been sort of, there's been sort of this like nerfy, type theology that's floated around forever in the church and people are like over it they want the they want the raw hardcore give me don't you know don't hold back if we believe this and there's there's a lot of power behind these things let's don't you know i love that about the bible the bible doesn't it's it's not it doesn't tiptoe around anything it doesn't you know it doesn't present things like you're a skeptic it just drops things and keeps going like you're 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 an adult take it or leave it go with it and i think we live in this society now where everyone has to explain themselves and over explain themselves well i didn't really mean that and da, da 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 but the bible is just hey it treated people like like they could handle the truth and then it just kept going which is which is kind of frustrating for us modern people cuz we don't we don't have all the context right so we're always confused but for this episode like i think we talked about there were some Topics of Jekyll Island. I know a lot of people have listened to our previous episodes, and they, they there's some blurry stuff around there. You had a whole bunch of topics. I don't know which which direction you want to take this episode. We could do all of them <laughs> yeah. too if we wanted to, but I I do think yeah. it'd be interesting, Laura. That one of the things I'd wanted to reach out, and I know your schedule is very full, so you're gracious to give us some time today. But uh, you know, all the things that that are kind of cir- circling around the Fed right now, and that's what you wrote your book on, right? We have the the petrodollar thing, where essentially these these major countries are moving away from the US dollar we have the inflation we have the fed hiking rates and it feels very timely that we would talk to you about about some of uh, some of what's happening there but I mean, frankly I liked all the things you sent so if we want to cover all of them it works for us um <laughs> but I, well, I did I did want to like start to. I know I did want to start a little bit with that though because I think we're in the middle of it and and if you haven't listened to the earlier episodes we have with Dr. Laura maybe you're new to the show I would recommend going back and starting with the roots of the federal reserve the the nephilim agenda stuff that we that we began talking to 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 laura about and then you can come back or you can listen to it backwards you know this this, it's really your prerogative but that would lay a great foundation for probably some of some of what we're gonna we're gonna get into i mean shoot there's we should we should try to hit it all um well, I think, you know, one of the things that I want to do is I want to go deeper than what I did in our second and third interview. So our second interview, I think you titled it the Fed and the third one was War of Frequencies. And I want to kind of meld those together, but I do have to, I always have to give a shout out to one of your members um, because they bless me so deeply. 
So another member, his name is Matthew Owen, and I actually met him at the VIP dinner after the Q&A panel, and he came up to me. He's an attorney, and he's a professional ballroom dancer. He and his wife are amazing dancers. Talented. And anyways, he came up and started sharing some things. So he had listened to my interviews, you know, on, on your podcast, and he started putting pieces together and going even deeper than I had thought. And it was profound what he was sharing with me. And so I was like, can you send me this research? Because he had a couple of articles that he was referring to. And thankfully, he followed up and sent me the stuff. So much of what I want to share with you guys comes from Matthew Owen and his research. And I love how people reach out to me and they're like, how can I help you with what you're doing? Mm. So anyways, here's another example of your members are just absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, Matthew. He's always asking us hard questions in the members chats, Lou. Oh, is <laughs> yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. We're always like, I don't know. We need to get uh, Dr. Laura on this one. We're just a couple, you know. But- shout, out, shout out to Matthew. Yeah. You know, ballroom dancer, your attorney, he's breaking a mental sweat as well. So we are, uh, yeah. We're grateful for that. Uh, Laura, let's dive in. We're, we are uh, we're ready. We're, we're ready. You ready? All right. Well, I thought a good place to start is probably to lay a biblical foundation of what stewardship is, and particularly stewardship and how our stewardship affects the land. And that's where we'll tie it to Jekyll Island and the Federal Reserve. So I thought maybe a good place to start is just to define how I'm looking at stewardship. And it's essentially, you know, from biblical principles. And the Greek word for steward is oikonomos. And it means the manager of a household, a governor, a superintendent to whom the head of the house has entrusted the management of his or her affairs. So in other words, you know, a steward is a person who oversees someone else's property. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's examples all throughout scripture, uh, but I think of Matthew 25, you know, the parable of the talents as an example of stewardship here, the, you know, the master comes and he gives talents to three different people and he sees what they're going to do with it. And so when he returns and he finds that, you know, two of the servants, they actually took those talents and they multiplied them. He tells them, well done, good and faithful servant. But then with the one who, took the talent and just buried it and didn't do anything with it. He tells that servant that he's wicked and lazy and that he's going to be thrown out into darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. So of course, reading that parable, we want to be ones that are told Mm. good and faithful servant. Well, in first Corinthians four, verse one and two, it says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So how are we found faithful? You know, we have to understand what it is we're supposed to steward. And one of the things we're to steward is creation. And of course, Genesis 1, uh, 26 lays this out for us. And it says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here we have this dominion mandate that God established, and he established it as a principle of great importance. Mm. And it really is this hallmark that sets humanity apart. And I, of course, go deeper in my book, but the word for dominion, the Hebrew word for it is radah, and it means to rule 
have dominion, dominate, tread down, and prevail against. Mm. Well, when you think about that definition, you know, what it's suggesting is that we're going to have, we're going to face foes and we're going to face entities that are going to resist us as we govern. And so we're going to have to tread down and prevail against them. And if you think about, you know, creation, if it's to have this abundant life and to flourish, we're going to have to govern according to God's principles. So what God did is he constituted his government on earth and he chose us, his image bearers, you know, we are his representatives to govern and to steward creation according to his plans and purposes, not our plans. Mm. And of course, he gave Adam and Eve the first responsibility in this, and he equipped them with everything that they needed, but they chose poorly. Mm. And so part of being a good steward is to regain what's been lost due to poor stewardship. And that involves doing spiritual warfare to take back the territory that's been relinquished to the enemy. This is wild. We just did our last episode, Laura, was Territorial yeah. Spirits. This was la- oh, this last this week. Is, this is per- I was just thinking the same thing. We because you know, and I'm not. I'm not on to derail this, but yeah, Nate's right. We just we had Dr. Joel Matamale, who's he studied under Mike Heiser, and uh, he's a friend. And and this is what we wrote a dissertation on. And as you were saying that, I thought it was fascinating. Maybe you're going to get into this. So maybe I'm jumping ahead, but the idea of the Deuteronomy 32, where the dividing of the nations, and you have these these Elohim that are then given. You can stewardship, dominion, whatever you want, yeah, jurisdiction, whatever you want to call it. They're they are then sort of given these spaces, and we know they are corrupted. And I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of you, but I just think this is so timely because as the show, Nate, as the show barrels on, Nate, I did. <laughs> someone made fun of us. It says that. So yeah, say. someone was teasing Nate about saying that. But um, <laughs> I think if, if you're tuning in now, and you didn't listen to episode 163 with, on territorial spirits. This is gonna this is gonna play right into into this, and so I think it's fascinating the way that God works. But yeah, I mean, uh, and then the idea of right of, of stewardship and dominion is also a lot of what Tim Alvarino talks about, and and I think you're echoing a little bit of that there, being the image bearers and, and being given you know, dominion, um, being or he uses the word being the regents of uh, of earth, and that is the, the original mandate, right? Is to subdue the earth and all that's in it, as we paraphrase that, but. Yeah, Nate, this is cool. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, sorry for pausing there, but this is really cool yeah. in the sense of yeah. our listeners will have a very interesting crumb trail because as we are, so mm-hmm. c- continue. So, sorry, I don't mean to, we hope we didn't derail you there. I think it's just evidence of how the Holy Spirit works through your podcast because it seems like when I come on, oftentimes you're like, man, we just talked yes. about yes. this. And that's because the Holy Spirit is connecting the dots. Mm. And I love that. You know, I'm a treasure hunter and the Holy Spirit will leave clues out for me. And so that's what your podcast mm. is essentially. You're just following one clue after another. So I love it. And I like <laughs> treasure hunting as well, big time. You yeah. know, I don't want to derail it again, but it, you know, I think that. <laughs> Something that Luke and I have, you know, heard from a lot of people when listening to the show is that sort of the show's kind of taken a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that about you because I think we started this like a Bigfoot podcast. We didn't really expect it to go down some of these hard to listen to episodes or just heavy topics. You know, I wouldn't have drawn up the show this way. I wouldn't have said, okay, we're going to bring these people on. And we're going to talk about these topics. It wasn't what we wanted to do, really, to be honest. But it was something where it's like, okay, God, if this is direction you're taking the show let's just go there even though i think some people are going to think we're nuts they listen to these episodes you guys are crazy or because these topics aren't easy to talk about and when i when i think about your work and i think about what you're trying to do i don't think you're 
you know, some people, I don't know how to explain it. They, it's like they want, they think that we're trying to do this for shock value or, or just to get listens and plays. I'm like, this isn't really the way, the direction we wanted to take it. It's just, if this is what God wants to get out to people, like, I don't feel like an, I'm an expert in the, any of these topics or, or even know all, often what to say about them. It's just, well, if this is the platform, if this is the place, if this isn't, mm-hmm. the church isn't going to talk about it because it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's got its sort of its uh, theme and formula that it does. Maybe it's welcome here. So, I, so I, that's been, so that's on my, been on my heart for the last several episodes that, you know, I think something that we've, we've kind of explored together because I'm, I'm sure some of your work when you're writing a book, it's like some of these topics are probably like, well, this isn't fun. Or I don't know what my family and friends are going to think about me if I put this in the world. Um, and same with the podcast. It's like, or some of, even our last episode, people have a really hard time with Elle's testimony and her story and some of the facts and some of the things that she presented. And they get mad at us about it. And we're <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't vet every single thing. So I, there's a lot there that I just said, but I felt like there's been a lot on my heart since our last episode that I wanted to kind of address to listeners that, you know, these, these topics aren't easy and Mm-mm. they're not always fun. And, but, but I think they're important to talk about. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, I've, I've told you guys this <clears throat> as we've had conversations, you know, over the last several months, even years that I, I think the reason why you guys are just launching as far as, you know, how many people are tuning in and listening is because you've given God your yes and Mm. you keep saying yes. And so just like you're saying, Nate, you didn't draw up blurry creatures to go in this direction, but you said yes to the Lord. And that's what I've done too. I writing this book, I, first of all, I didn't even think anyone would read it besides my family, (laughs) to be honest. Like when the Lord asked me to write this book, it was just one day after another of being obedient. And four years later, the book mm. was written. I didn't know anyone was going to read it. I didn't know what it was for. The Lord showed me it was a form of intercession for our monetary system. And that's all I needed. Mm. And that's what I went with. But, you know, so as we say yes to the Lord, he just continues to open up things. Um, and like the relationship, the friendship I have with Al, there is no way I could have imagined having this friendship with her five years ago when I started writing or six Mm. years ago when I started writing. So Mm -hmm. the Lord just, he directs our steps. And if we're willing to say yes, it's like, okay, he stretches us even more than what we think we're able to handle. And I'm in the midst of that now. It's like, God, I don't have capacity for more. He's like, oh yeah, you do. Let me stretch Uh you a little bit more. See what more you can do. So anyways, just to encourage you, I, I just... Both of you guys, that's been something that is so evident from the first time I was with you is that you've given the Lord your yes and you're willing to go where he wants you to go. I would add one thing to this too is that like when we talk about things lining up, like if you're listening, like we scheduled this interview with with Laura months ago. So we try to get on Laura's calendar. This isn't like we had this interview with with Joel, with Dr. Joel, who's our friend of ours, who also we had to reschedule and cancel a couple of times. It's fascinating to me the way that things line up and, and it 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 just feels like it, it it's non-coincidental and then to the to the thing nate you were saying i always go back to ephesians 5 and this is where i have to live and that is that have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them and that is where i want to live and, it, and if it 
you know, it, it, there's a cost to that. And I think we, we, we are seeing what the cost is and, you know, to, to our, our own personal lives and et cetera. But man, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything is limited, yeah. becomes a light says Ephesians. And I think that's where, and that's, I think Laura, I know you guys where I knew you are walking as well. Is it as you, as you dig in and, ex, and find these things, it's like expose them, right? It, it, it is, it is the way that the biblically that we are to deal with this stuff. And so we're grateful for the, you know, <laughs> that you're shouldering a lot of this. And like you said, I think, I think God is stretching you and giving you that capacity for, for more. And we're, it's just cool to be alongside and get to, get to, get to do some of that with you. As I go back in like the, some of the older Old Testament stories too, Laura, I think about some of these things is that one of the fatal flaws that humans have, especially Christians, is we think we have to be this perfect vessel for God to use us. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have like this resume and we have all these experiences and we have to have all this knowledge. But it's like, no, it's just flawed characters who are willing to say yes or just stubborn enough to not, to not you know, like okay well if this is what you want to do i'll do it you know it doesn't mean that luke and i aren't you know flawed human beings trying to figure it out trying to raise our kids trying to figure out how to live in this world and put out a podcast and pay the bills like anybody else and there's days we have where we're like you know we'll look at each other like we don't want to do this right like we're both just exhausted and like you know but we just do it anyway and and it's it's good because we've kind of been on this journey like frodo and Sam Wise, just like, who knows where we're going, <laughs> you know? And it's just cool to, because I think in my life, I've always struggled with doubt, self-doubt. Like, I'm, does God really love me? Am I really in? Am, am I doing the right thing? And that's been my own voices in my own head have been the hardest on me, you know? So you can get on our channels and say all the negative things you want, but I can guarantee you that like, some of the things that I tell myself are the, are the hardest and the worst. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of letting those go and saying, God, you know, it's not about that. It's just you do care about us. You do want to use us. And it's about, it's not about forcing it. It's just sometimes just letting go, but also being staying in the boat, you know, like wherever you want to take us. So I don't know. I've just been feeling a lot of those things lately. And as I list, read the Bible stories, I keep reminding myself that we're the hardest on ourselves, especially Christians. We just, we beat ourselves up and, mm-hmm. and then we render ourselves really useless because we're so self-defeated. Then we can't actually be used because... We're like, no, there's nothing God can use. He can't use me. I'm too damaged. I'm too messed up. I'm too sinful or whatever. It's not true. Yeah. So back to, the, back to the land. Yeah, back to the land. <laughs> we're just, <laughs> we're ha- we're the just having an off-the-cuff conversation. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, in thinking about this dominion mandate mm-hmm. what and how God established, you know, the hierarchy of creation, it means that land responds to what we do. You know, there's consequences, certainly to our choices. We feel the consequence, the effects of those, and then also the people around us, but the land itself experiences consequences. And, you know, you've heard me talk about that there's four types of iniquity that defile the land or establish strongholds. So that's sexual perversion, idolatry, broken covenants, and bloodshed. And so I want to, what I want to do is go a little bit deeper and lay out the biblical principles behind why I say that, because it will connect some of the dots, even to what has happened in Nashville recently. Mm -hmm. So in Leviticus 18, it shows us how sexual perversion will defile the land. And I'm going to read verses 22 through 28. It says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. 
nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all of these the nations are defiled, which I'm casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. So here we see, you know, it specifically speaks to homosexuality and bestiality that it will defile the land. Mm. Then in Deuteronomy 11, we see how idolatry affects the land. And this is verses 13 through 17. It says, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord, your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So in this passage, you know, we see the link between idolatry and it could lead to famine and drought. Then in Isaiah 24, it talks about broken covenants. This is verse five and six. It says, the earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, the earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. So here, broken covenants can lead to death and destruction. Mm. And then finally, Numbers 35 demonstrates what happens when there's bloodshed. Mm. This is verse 33 and 34. It says, do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land and atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell for I, the Lord dwell among the Israelites. So bloodshed pollutes the land. And, you know, in thinking about what happened at the Covenant School in Nashville, bloodshed now has polluted, defiled mm -hmm. that land. So there's a curse on the land itself. And I just want to encourage people um, to, you know, I'm, there's probably been massive prayer to support those that have gone through that trauma. But also not only praying for the people, but we have to remember that we need to pray for the land and the land has to be cleansed. And so um, in Salt Lake City, where I live, um, we had a mass shooting in 2007. It was at one of our malls. The mall is called Trolley Square. And the shooter, he killed five people and injured four before he himself was shot. So here we have six people dead on this land. And that bloodshed brings a curse upon the land. And we knew as spiritual mappers um, that we needed to go in and pray over the land. And so we waited a few months because, um, you know, these things are so traumatic. Mm -hmm. 
But then we went in and we actually prayed all throughout that mall and um, the surrounding area. And when you pray to, you know, cleanse the land, it's important that you're praying, you're repenting for the violent acts that have been done and it's identificational repentance. And that's out of Daniel nine. But then you also, you want to break the curses because if we don't deal with the iniquity of bloodshed that's been brought on the land, it acts like a magnet and pulls more bloodshed to that land. And that's how altars of offense are established all throughout the earth. And so we went in and we cleansed the land through prayer. We took communion. We anointed the, the land with oil. And then we released blessings and we worshiped. And what's really cool is that about nine years later, so I should say this, to my knowledge, there has not been more bloodshed on Trolley Square since we went and prayed. Mm -hmm. And then um, about nine years later, a church actually started at Trolley Square. And so for three years, this church was there and offering up true worship. And so that is releasing the full measure of blessing that God has intended for that land. And so I just wanted to encourage folks, I know you both are from the Nashville area, if there hasn't been prayer done for the land itself, that's an important component of restoration. Wow. You know, Laura, I mean, I think these these some of these topics can trigger people. They don't they don't understand them. They I've I've seen some people's discussions in our channels, but one thing we we just talked about recently and I don't know if this is like a, too much of a rabbit hole to go in a different direction, but it is that we just did an episode on women in white and these women who have traumatic, like whether they were murdered or something are like, these spirits are like on repeat and they like in these areas and they like, and a lot of Christians don't know how to deal with some of these topics. Cause it's like, well, ghosts aren't real, you know? And it's, well, well then how come these murdered individuals continue to show up in these specific places? dressed the same as they were when they, when it happened to them. Maybe sometimes on their wedding day or on, you know, their husband passed away and then they, they committed suicide or they were murdered. It seems to be sort of a little clue that maybe what all these things that we're talking about not only are real, but, you know, some of the parent people in the paranormal space have heard these stories and they're like hauntings. And it, do you think that's mm-hmm. connected, these curses, like these people that are sort of their, tra- their trauma, they're stuck in this loop and they're... And, you know, people see them and there's always some story connected to this spirit or this ghost or this, I just, that's, that's where my mind is. That's what I'm thinking. You know, if there, if if there's a curse. Yeah, And that ties, it ties back to being a good steward Mm. of the land that the Lord has given us. And so, you know, when there's a trauma that has happened on the land, so often we don't even think about the land itself. Mm -hmm. But that's why I wanted to lay out all these scriptures, because what we do impacts the land and it's all throughout the Bible. And once we get that, that realization, it empowers us to not only bring freedom to people, but to bring freedom to land. And I'll tie this together because when a stronghold is established over a territory, it affects the people that live there, whether they know it or not. And so that's why I think it's so important. So, you know, part of being a good steward is to identify, have these iniquities been committed in our communities? Mm. And how we do that is, you know, doing research. You know, you want to look at the physical, social, and spiritual pulse of your communities. 
you know, you want to look at have these things been committed. And, you know, one way is you pay attention to the news, you read newspaper articles, you talk to people that have lived in the community a long time, you know, even digging through some of the historical documents to learn the history of how our communities were started. That's important too, because there's, there can be ancient roots of defilement. Mm. Another way is to see, to observe if your land actually has a judgment upon it. And scripture lays out four types of judgments on the land. And that's famine, ecological devastation, war, and disease. So let me describe this a little bit more. So with starvation, or excuse me, with famine, you're not just looking for starvation in a community. Famine can look like uh, a lack of authenticity in relationships, for example, or you could see a lack of hunger in the people that live there to have a relationship with God. Or in the churches, you could see a lack of power because the Holy Spirit has is not free to move. Or even in some churches, you can see, you know, that the word of God is not being preached. So there's a lack of scripture being taught. So those are some examples of famine. Then with ecological devastation, of course, you've got floods, fires, earthquakes, tornadoes, avalanches, hurricanes, but also a weak economy Mm -hmm. or even a decrease in harvest. That can be a judgment, an ecological devastation judgment. Then with war, of course, we think, you know, war between nations, but war can also look like anger and jealousy and resentment in relationships. There can be divisiveness in schools and businesses, politics, um, and then you can see violence in the streets, you know, through rioting or gang activity. Those are signs that there might be a judgment on your land. And then with disease, you know, of course, we think about physical ailments, but also it could be mental anguish. Um, so those are just some examples of the, the judgments on our land. And Proverbs 26, 2 says, like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. So if a curse exists on the land, like I said, the people in that community can be affected by it. And so what we do with spiritual mapping is you know, we set out to identify, okay, what is the cause of this curse? And Alistair Petrie, he's someone who is uh, very skilled in, in spiritual mapping. He wrote a book called A Sacred Trust. And he says, in order to remove defilement on the land and any consequential judgment or curse that is associated with that defilement, we need to be able to diagnose how and why Satan has the right of access to a specific area. Ephesians 4.27 refers to this as a foothold. So when we've been poor stewards of what God has entrusted to us, what happens is the enemy can establish a foothold, a foothold in our lives and our families and our churches, but also in our communities, our cities, our state, region, nations. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it's important that we understand what iniquities have been committed on the land. And then we have to deal with those iniquities through identificational repentance If we don't, that foothold then becomes a stronghold. And strongholds are strengthened by personal and corporate and generational iniquity. And you can think of a stronghold, it's a little bit, like I said earlier, it's like a magnet. So it it pulls, it attracts people that will commit that same iniquity. Mm. And so it just repeats itself and gets stronger and stronger. And again, the people that live in that territory under that stronghold can be affected. And so you can see things like 
increased bankruptcies, high divorce rates, high crime rates, mass shootings, like we've talked about, you know, domestic violence and child abuse, just to name a few. And then the other thing that I think is important to understand about strongholds is we can develop a stronghold in our thinking, in our mind. And oftentimes the strongholds in our minds are either connected to our generational ties, like our bloodline, or they can be connected to the territory. And we see a biblical example of strongholds over minds being connected to the territory. When we think about Israel's reaction to when the 10 spies came back from the land of Canaan and in numbers 13, 28, 28, it says, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. So we know that these 10 spies, you know, they came back and their report was filled with fear and intimidation. Well, that was the pervading attitude of the Canaanites. The Canaanites had established a stronghold in the way that they stewarded their land. And that stronghold was one of fear and intimidation. So then the people that come onto their land, they come under that stronghold and it can influence them. And that's what happened to the 10 spies. It influenced the report and then Israel reacted to the fear and intimidation. But Joshua and Caleb, like I talked about at BlurryCon, you know, these giant slayers, they went onto the same land under the same territory and it did not affect them. And that's because I believe they learned how to take every thought captive. They had developed an intimate relationship with the Lord. And so they feared the Lord and not their surroundings. And that allowed them to say in Numbers 1330, it says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Wow. And so what I do in my book, as you guys know, is I, you know, I uncover these ancient roots of defilement that are linked to Jekyll Island. And some of that is because of the stewardship of the Timucuan native tribe that lived there and the rituals that they engaged in. And that really created the seedbed for Mm. the Federal Reserve. You know, this just gets me thinking about what our show, sort of where our show lives. We we, We talk about creatures. We talk about, and Laura, like people say that that abductions, alien abductions that are happening, they're they're in certain bloodlines. They're looking for certain types of bloodlines. And mm-hmm. yet you have paranormal places, hot spots around the United States or other places in where it seems like cryptid sightings, weird creatures are coming out of the ground or out of portals or whatever. And it's, you know, you obviously your work is different than what well, kind of the spaces that we live in, but they cross over. And that's kind of what I'm thinking in my mind. And then also it, it seems as though, do you think evil is... Like humans mechanize things, right? So we know, okay, we used to plant corn and then we would harvest it sort of, you know, here and there. And then we learned to build tractors and sort of make this mechanized process where now one guy can produce so much. So do you think some of these ancient cultures, they knew if we get X amount of babies and we just put them like through the the sacrifice machine, our empire is just going to grow, 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 grow. Like like the fuel of their and their the evil empire that they've was just pumping these children through to, for sacrifices almost mechanically like if we have x amount of babies come through we grow this much like you know like anything else that is mechanized in our culture you could think of a thousand examples of that do you think that's sort of what they were doing they just they knew absolutely okay. yes because they i think they knew that uh, more bloodshed empowers the spiritual forces of darkness 
And if they are operating under that kingdom, they want to essentially feed the gods the blood that the gods require. Laura, I have a question. I got a question about about that. So when you know, in, with the example of Joshua and then moving into the Promised Land, when they are redeeming the land there, like there's, it's very much like an, a physical, like the destruction of of their the idols and the destruction of their of the people themselves, destruction of the hybrids, destruction of the the temples to these gods, and they're booting them out be, because Yahweh's with them, and and because then they give they're giving Yahweh dominion or the worship of Him dominion in this place. Is that Biblically speaking, like uh, how do those things look the same or different today? Because obviously we're not we're not on the conquest of Joshua, and we're going to the Promised Land and booting these people out. Mm-hmm. And and maybe physically, in some ways, there is destruction of these temples of defilement. But much more seems to happen, at least now, and more more so in the in the spiritual realm or in the in the um, mm-hmm. in the supernatural. But is the playbook the same? Like, I mean, as we. Well, I think, you know, Joshua, um, I like to think of him as the original spiritual mapper mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, that's what he did. Yeah. He went into the land of Canaan, but then when they crossed the Jordan to go into the promised land and he was leading the Israelites at that point in time, he sent spies into Jericho. So again, he was doing the reconnaissance of the spiritual mapping. And so, you know, we see um, very much what Joshua did set a strategy for us here and now. And like you said, we're not going to necessarily march around the walls of Jericho (laughs) and they're going to fall in the physical realm. But there are times when there are things that happen in the physical realm that are direct sign of the breakthrough that's come in the spiritual realm. And an example for us here locally is we had a tornado that ripped through downtown Salt Lake City in 1999 and we've never had a tornado i mean you guys live in tornado we do not so it was very unusual and what the lord did is he ripped up i think it's a oh i forget the number 100 and 158 or something like that trees in a place called memory grove Mm. well memory grove is just adjacent to the state capitol And it was a place where the Lord was drawing our attention to. But prior to the tornado, I didn't know anything about Memory Grove. We were just praying as a spiritual mapping team for the Lord to show us the spiritual gate for the Queen of Heaven, because we knew the Queen of Heaven was operating in our territory and we needed the Lord to show us where that spiritual gate is so we could deal with that in in the spiritual realm. Well, I happened to be home the day of the tornado. I was working downtown Salt Lake, but that day my daughter was sick at home. She was a baby and I was just in a time with the Lord and before I'm in silence and there was this tremendous tornado or tremendous storm that was going on outside. And I didn't know it was a tornado. And the Lord told me to pay attention to the sounds of the storm because it was the sounds of the spiritual battle over our city that day. And when I discovered it was a tornado, um, a few weeks later, again, in prayer, the Lord said, follow the path of the tornado, because that will reveal where the queen of heaven operates. And sure enough, Memory Grove is a place where there was a lot of things that were being done, rituals taking place among the trees. And if you look in scripture, uh, the queen of heaven, temples for the queen of heaven would often have male and female shrine prostitutes out Mm. front. And Memory Grove was a modern day shrine to the Queen of Heaven. And God dealt with it 
by removing those trees. Well, in the worship of the queen of heaven, they worship under the spreading of the trees and Asherah poles. So Asherah is another name for queen of heaven in scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, God ripped up all those Asherah poles to expose what was done, highlighted it to us so that we could go in and deal with the spiritual entities that were there. So mm-hmm. that just gives an example of how it's not always just in the spiritual realm. Sometimes you see physical. things in the physical it, as it well. It reminds me of, like Joel told the story about how when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, the Dagon falls over in yep. the middle of the night. And uh, it even just reminded me of like I, I reading some non-canonical scriptures of like, I don't know, take it with what you will, but I remember there were these idols it was a couple of books that didn't make it. I don't know if they're legit or not. But when Jesus it says when Jesus was a baby and he was being taken around, these idols in these cities would crumble and fall apart. And I wonder if some of those things are true. It's like, you know, if we have the Holy Spirit where we go, we bring God's presence, and it's really just it's it is more of a, a of a territorial battle and a spiritual battle, it, just because we can't see it. We can't put it in our minds that this is what's actually happening, that these places and there's certain territory. And I mean, just modern day, people are moving from one place to another place because mm-hmm. they don't understand it. It's like, well, this place sucks now, so I'm going to leave. Well, it's like, well, why? You know, why is this place okay and this place is not okay anymore? What is happening? You're experiencing less freedom. You're experiencing higher crime rates. You have homelessness that's just out of control. Drug use is just through the roof. And it's like some of these politicians, it's like they're getting, you almost think they're getting paid to make it worse. Like someone's behind the scenes like, okay, how do we make it even more dark and more decrepit and more evil? I'll give you this and that in exchange for more policies that just that multiply the corruption and and the evil. And that that speaks to how strongholds are strengthened through that that corporate and generational iniquity. It's like once an iniquity happens on the land and that's why I was, you know, speaking about Nashville, that school, yeah. bloodshed has happened on that land. Iniquity has been committed. It needs to be dealt with the land itself. Otherwise, it's it could draw forth more bloodshed. And so cities, for example, you know, San Francisco comes to mind. It used to be my favorite city. I haven't been there in a while, but I've heard horror stories of what it's like now. But it's, I think it's because it's those ancient roots of defilement that haven't been dealt with. And, and that's why what I do with my book, it, you know, I, I tie it to our monetary system. So these, this iniquity can be established in the land. It can be connected to institutions, to families, to church, you know. So again, it's, it's so important to deal with it. And by going back into history, that's where we discover, okay, this is the origination point of when this iniquity started, we need to deal with that through prayer and intercession. And that's when we we start to see breakthrough. And the Lord can reverse things in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we want for our communities. We want to see that transformation. What do you think, Laura, about some people who, you know, anoint things with holy oil or some of these other things to help? Because some people, Christians, that, that weirds them out. Some people say, you know, that that's sort of in the delves in the new age. What do you think about some of those topics where 
sort of relics? I, I definitely anoint with oil, most definitely. I mean, it's it's throughout scripture. I'll just give it a quick example. And then I want to I want to get to Jekyll um, Island. The Timmy Kwan's and yeah. Jekyll yeah, yeah, Island. Yeah. But a quick example is not only, you know, anointing with oil, but also applying the blood of Jesus to the land itself. So Passover 2020, you know, we're in lockdown all over the United mm-hmm. States. And as I was praying, the Lord just said, I want you and your family to take communion out on your front porch and apply the blood of Jesus on the doorpost. And so we did. And my mom lives nearby, um, but she couldn't, we were in lockdown. So she did it on her front porch over the phone. So we all did it together. My entire, you know, all my kids and Tom and I, we were out on the front porch and we were applying the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of our home, declaring that COVID would not enter our home and that we were protected by the blood of Jesus. And we have seven people in our family and not one of us have had COVID. Mm. We've had COVID come into our home unknowingly, like people stay with us that have had COVID, used our bathrooms, we've hugged them, you know, all the things that you normally would catch COVID. And none of us have caught COVID. And it's because I followed the prompting. It was the strategy that the Lord gave our family to prevent us from catching COVID. And so applying the blood. So it wasn't real blood. It was grape or actually it was cranberry juice. Cause that's what I had in the house. So we took communion, cranberry juice and crackers or bread. And then I dipped my finger in the cranberry juice and my kids did and Tom did. And we all put it on the doorpost and that's called a prophetic act. We're, we're being obedient to what the Lord is showing us for here. And now it's tied to what the initial Passover, mm. you know, in Exodus but it was at the time where Jesus died on the cross because he died on Passover. And so all of that was the strategy the Holy Spirit gave us. And like I said, none of us have had COVID. Wow. Mm. So we were talking about San Francisco and iniquity and, and, and everything there. And with that idea and the city things we're talking about, take us to Jekyll Island, right? A lot of what you've done in research is around the Federal Reserve, the roots there, it's establishment on, on Jekyll Island, a Canaanite altar. It's, it, but Take us there because I, I think I want you to draw this line. I, I want to discuss this because I think we can draw a direct line to what's happening now. And I know we can. I know you have something you're going to yeah. do for us. But I, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us, we'd be remiss not to, not to look around with eyes wide open and see what's happening to the, to the monetary system, what's happening with the petrodollar, inflation. And, and then, of course, we hear about the Fed, right? And they're, they're continuing to raise rates, which is crushing people. And as you would talk about, enslaving people. Mm-hmm. But what happened? What's hap- what happened there on Jekyll Island in, in the ritual stuff? As you went back into history to sort of find the defilement there. Yeah. So one of the things I'll do is I'll, I want to build on what we talked about. I think it was in our second interview um, called the Fed, and I've since learned how to properly pronounce this native tribe. I used to call them the Timucuans, but when I narrated my book, I had to get it right. So it's Timucuans. Mm-hmm. But essentially, the Timucuans were the Native American tribe that inhabited Jekyll Island Mm. and then also some of the other uh, coastal islands of Georgia and parts of northern Florida. And they, the the Timucuans, their stature was noteworthy because they were said to be head and shoulders taller 
than even the tallest of the European explorers that encountered them. And some historians place their height between seven and eight feet tall. Mm, wow. So not only were they tall in stature, but they also had extraordinary strength. But they also exhibited some of the behavioral characteristics of what I've termed Nephilim hosts. And I lay that out in chapter 13 of my book. But, you know, they engaged in uh, sorcery. They were violent with disregard to the rights of others. They engaged in blood occult rituals, and they also Mm. committed human sacrifice. So the the Timuquans, they worshipped the sun god, and they looked to this deity for protection, for prosperity, you know, for victory in battle, and for harvest. And the circumpunct was a symbol of great importance to them. You know, it was all throughout their rituals, their ceremonies, their cultural life. And just by way of review, the circumpunct is the circle with a dot, and it's the ancient phallic symbol of the Egyptian sun god Ra. Mm. And so, you know, in my investigation, um, looking at the roots of the Federal Reserve, one of the symbols that was a consistent thread tying the Nephilim agenda all throughout history is the circumpunct. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is highlight one of the Timuquan's rituals or their ceremonies because it's rich with symbolism and it's their victory celebration. And so in this ceremony, um, they were offering up praise and worship to the sun god because they had protection in battle, and then they also had victory. And what happens is that the Timuqua, they would sit in a semicircle, and then across from them were seven poles, also in a semicircle. Now, I have pictures of this in my book, but on top of these poles were the severed arms and legs of their enemies. And so you have the dead and the living forming a circle. Mm. And in the middle, the sorcerer would sit and that's a circumpunct. Now casting the circle for the ceremony was part of the ritual of creating this sacred space as a conduit for the release of supernatural power. And I'm going to come back to this casting a a circle for magic because you'll see how we're experiencing it right here and now in our day. But so in this ceremony, again, the, the parts of the bodies of their enemies or um, another phrase they use, they call them trophies. They were mounted on top of the poles and each pole then had a vine draped around it, connecting the trophies to the earth. And that formed the symbol that's known as Kepemni. Now, Kepemni is this whirling set of vortices that's believed to connect the upper and lower worlds as they communicated with one another. So Kepemni is a Lakota term for what is above is like what is below and what is below is like what is above. And, you know, it's the same phrase that's used Mm. in alchemy's hermetic law. Crowley as well. Yes. Yeah. In fact, um, alchemy's symbol for gold is the circumpunct. And so you're going to see how this all interweaves yeah. together. Now, the Kepemni evolved from this concept of a power line, which is the supernatural power source, you know, that radiates outward from this sacred central point. And so in this ceremony, the center pole had two vines wrapped around it. So it was it was one of prominence because it it was the only one that had these two vines. And it formed what looked like a double helix. And it represented the sacred communication between that which is above with that which is below. Not only did this 
vine, these two vines on this pole represent a strand of DNA, which I seem to think is a, a way that the Lord communicates to us that they had a defiled genome, but also it's in the shape of the Caduceus, which is the staff of Hermes. Mm. I was going to say, I was going to say that it sounds like the medical. Yes. So here's where Matthew really helps me out too, is, is seeing the connection here. So the Caduceus is a staff that was believed um, to have magical powers and was used and associated with casting spells. So Hermes used it. Now what's interesting is it's believed that Hermes invented coinage. And so the Caduceus was also used to symbolize commerce. So here we have, again, going back to what I talked about earlier about stewardship of the land and iniquities that happen on the land. So here, this the Timuqua used this symbol and it had impact for generations to come. Now, another thing about this Caduceus is it wasn't just used by Hermes. It was used by also Hermes Tresmegistus, who was an ancient Greco-Egyptian author. He's the one that wrote the Hermetic text that formed the basis of alchemy. And then Luke, as you mentioned, it's current in our modern day. It's the symbol for the medical system and also pharmacology. So herein lies some of the root issues with our medical system and big pharma. And I'll also come back to that in just a minute. Mm. But what we see then here with these early inhabitants of Jekyll Island is they established altars of offense and they engaged in false worship. And what happens when you do that is you actually infuse the land with your spiritual DNA. And so that's what they did. And throughout history, we know that the symbol of the circumpunct is associated with occult practices and false worship. And so this, this Caduceus, along with the circumpunct, you know, it's associated with alchemy and commerce and sorcery. So the iniquity of the early inhabitants, it attached a curse to the land that impacted subsequent generations. And so the stewardship of the land by the Timuquas formed the seedbed for the incubation of the Federal Reserve, which is, again, this debt and enslavement system. And then as we move forward in time, we see that actually the sorcery of the Hegelian dialectic waters the seedbed of this enslavement system. And um, that ties into, I think, our third interview. I talked about the Hegelian dialectic, and I can go into that, but I wanted to pause if you guys had more thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have some thoughts of of a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts that I have, but... um you know, we've, we've, we've posted several reels and videos about, you know, early explorers running into these, these people in the South and like Florida on the coast. And we talked a lot extensively about how some of the remaining last tribes of these, um, sort of these, the, I, I think the ites the, from the biblical lands were, were migrating around the world and they, it seems like they were chased off or they were, they would eventually end up on islands, you know, all over the place. Um, and you wonder if they had these territories and then slowly they were pushed to these remote sections. Cause there was, there was a, a story of like one of the last native American battles was with yellow hair, this chief yellow hair, who was this basically this giant that was, and then, you know, Catalina and all these other islands were these sort of these remnants. And I think there was a, I almost want to say there was a curse on these people. Like they couldn't thrive. They couldn't, 
they couldn't exist for very long. And eventually they got, they got exterminated. People would, would chase them down, whether they were in Lovelock cave. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people get, they get really weird about this cause they think it's, we're, we're anti-Native American or we're pushing racist I- ideas. And, you know, it's interesting. It's just like, I, I think I like to say some of these things because these cultures were all over the world infiltrating, bringing their religions and their dark sorcery and all the things that they were a part of. And they were, they were spreading them to different human groups. It wasn't like, oh, these particular people, this race was evil. It was like, I think they were both and. There were some that had been polluted and had been corrupted, and there's some that weren't. But this part of the world, definitely, there's a lot of early explorers who had run-ins with giants, you know, and they reported it, and they wrote it down. It's not, it's not as easy to find, but it's interesting that it's an island. <laughs> it's just a familiar theme on our show, so... So I, I just wanted to address that because I, I it, it's it's a hot issue in, on our show that you know comes up from time to time. Mm. Yeah, uh, on the selection here, this maybe we well, you're, this is where you're going with some of this, but so we talk about this place, Jekyll Island, and its history, and then there's these rituals that are happening here that are it would it would seem it's like opening portals, it's defiling the land, it's it's this magic circle, it's it's a cult, it's a cultish and, and you're giving, you're giving over dominion to entities here. Right. So then it, it's not coincidental then that it's, it's, it's the founding place then for the, this is, I want, can you connect these two things for me? Because do you think they knew that this was, it had happened here or do you think that it was, you know, why was this place chosen then for the, by the founders of the fed? Was it, they knew this was a place and they were practicing the same sort of stuff. Or do you think it was, this, as we talked about earlier in the episode, is drawing the same mm-hmm. things to it because it. And I know maybe you are. Maybe I'm just getting ahead, but I want to. I want to know. But my mind's almost like, okay, so all this stuff's happening on this island. It's not a coincidence then that this is the place that becomes the found the foundational or the founding place for the Fed. But how do we get from poles with 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 human body parts on it and this sorcery mm-hmm. to a meeting of you know, the founding members of, of the Federal Reserve. Well, it, it ties into what I was talking about before, and that is stewardship of the land. So when this iniquity takes place on the land and it's not dealt with mm-hmm. through identificational repentance and prayer and applying the blood of Jesus to cleanse that land, it acts as a magnet drawing further iniquity. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is um, after the Timucua no longer lived in that area, then you have, you know, the, um, some of the French and the English, you know, inhabited that area and and settled in that area. Well, some of the folks that inhabited um, Jekyll Island, it was um, Christopher Dubignon, and he had established enslavement or slavery on mm. the island. So he orchestrated the arrival of a slave ship called the Wanderer. And it was 50 years after slavery was illegal in our, oh. in our country. And so it was the second, I think it was the second to last or the last slave ship to land on American shores, landed on Jekyll Island. That's no coincidence. That's more iniquity 
coming to that land. So here you have slavery now as an iniquity in the land. And that draws, you know, the six men in the dark of the night in 1910 of November to meet at Jekyll Island and architect our debt enslavement system. So you can see how it all connects. Mm, And when that iniquity is not dealt with, it will have impact for subsequent generations. Wow. There's like a whole history of of acts that, that that doesn't get written down. You know, we have I think that's the thing about it is is that you're playing a 4D chess game when you're when you when you're a Christian, mm-hmm. you know. And most people just live in this 3D world where they don't they don't think these things are happening or something happens and it's over, it's gone with. It's not still continuing to affect affect you, affect others. But you get into the paranormal space and you realize that there are hot spots. There are places there are things. And that's what that's what a lot of people come into our show. They come through those they're like they want answers to why are these paranormal things happening with certain people, mm-hmm. with certain places, and they get sucked into our show and they're looking for better answers to these questions whether they have a property, they have a piece of property somewhere and it back and it backs up to some area and there's just weird stuff happening and they can't get it to stop. And there's been Stories where, you know, people do certain things and then all of a sudden it does stop. And you're like, well, what did they do? How did that, how does that work? You know, what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch, for example? Why there? And why does the military seem to build, you know, these secret bases in certain places that have, that make no sense? You know, why here? Why in the middle of nowhere in this, this random location? And you have to think that they're operating on this 4D chess game. And Christians need to start waking up to it so we can go from a place of cluelessness to offense. You know, we can actually help. And uh, it remind, it, what you said earlier reminded me of that. What, is it is it the, 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 the prayers that people put over their door in Deuteronomy, the mezuzah, or is that what it's called? No, actually. It, don't the people <laughs> write, the, they, they write the prayer in Deuteronomy on their door, the, their doorpost? Right, Luke? You know what I'm talking about? about that. Okay. No, Nate, you're you're dude, you're swimming in, no, it's, it's in true. waters I'm not familiar with. <laughs> it was Chief Joseph Riverwim in that episode. He was talking about they write the verse in Deuteronomy. I think it was chapter I gotta look this up. And it says, um, bind them as a, a sign on your hands and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead, and inscribe them on the doorposts of your houses and your gates. Deuteronomy six, four through nine. But yeah, yeah, I think it's called the mezuzah. They, I, I think it's more okay. of a. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. Anyway, it's just all territorial stuff that you know. I think sometimes it people have been doing it forever, but nobody really knows mm-hmm. the history of it. Right. And sometimes you can get caught up in like some you know relics in the Catholic Church, and people just poo poo on all these things. Is I'm not saying all these things are good to do and subscribe to, but there are reasons why some people have done things over the course of. Uh, that that have some significance in protecting your home or i don't know but it is fascinating that all these things have some sort of origin story and origin point and as christians mm-hmm. we need to be more on the on the offense and know that that things in the spiritual world don't just willy-nilly happen right right and i think about what you were saying that you know it's a 4d world that we're living in and most christians don't understand that and i think you know one of the things that i Um, I know that I'm called to do is not only look back in history, but pull it into the here Mm -hmm. and now and equip us to understand, okay, what is going on around us? How do we make sense of this craziness in the world? 
And then what, how do we break free from it? How do we walk in the freedom that Jesus paid for on the cross? And so, you know, when I was, one of the things that Matthew Owen um, also helped connect the dots is with the Hegelian dialectic. And I talked about that, you know, in our third interview together, but I Mm. want to go a a layer deeper again, um, Mm. because it, it will connect things even more so. So just by way of review, George Hegel, you know, he was a German philosopher from the early 19th century, and he greatly influenced Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, who were the authors of the Communist Manifesto. And so what Hegel did is, you know, he developed a method by which to arrive at a conclusion. So the dialectic was a method of thinking. Essentially, it was like a basic brain function of differentiation. So Hegel thought that the human mind comprehends better if two opposites exist. So black or white, hot or cold, Democrat, Republican, you know, all this pitting each other against one another is part of that Hegelian dialectic. And most of us, you know, we... We use Aristotelian logic, which is from Aristotle. You know, we we collect evidence, you know, we'll examine documents, historical records, we'll gather testimonies, we'll lay all this evidence out before us, and then we'll draw a conclusion based on the observed facts. So that's Aristotelian logic. But the Hegelian dialectic actually creates a different path by which to arrive at a conclusion. So a thought occurs which at first seems satisfactory, but then upon reflection seems inadequate or incomplete. That's known as the thesis. So then the negation of the original thought seems satisfactory, but then upon reflection also seems incomplete. That's the antithesis. So the negation of that antithesis then becomes the synthesis. So rather than like in traditional logic, the synthesis supports the original thesis, In the Hegelian dialectic, the synthesis actually has overcome and preserved the movement of thought from the thesis to the antithesis. Mm. So essentially, the synthesis becomes this new thesis and the cycle continues. So in Hegelian dialectic, there's this progression of thought that's like this spiral, and it spirals upwards to what's termed this higher rational unity. And it's thought that it progresses towards the totality of truth. Now, that's a lot of big words. So I'm going to break it down even more so. But before I do, I want to also highlight that the Hegelian philosophy actually intersects with hermetic tradition. Mm. And this is where it ties together in some really um, amazing ways. So remember I talked about Hermes Tresmegistus? Well, he's thought to be the originator of hermeticism. So hermeticism is the study and practice of the occult um, and magic. So you have Kabbalism, you have alchemy, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, and theosophy are all intertwined within hermeticism. So what hermetics purport is that God requires creation in order to be God. They say that man can know God and Mm. man's knowledge of God is necessary for God's own knowledge of himself. So in essence, man completes God. Now there's this circular relationship in hermetic philosophy in which God creates man and man completes God. So with hermeticism, they actually replace the love of wisdom, which is what you find in Greek philosophy with this lust for power. 
And this is where Hegel's pursuit of divine knowledge is consistent with hermeticism. So there's um, a Stanford professor by the name of Dr. Eric Vogelin. And this is something that Matthew Owen, he sent me um, one of Vogelin's articles and he wrote an essay and it's entitled On Hegel, A Study of Sorcery. And what Vogelin asserts is that Hegel was a sorcerer who believed that the, he had the power to shape history in this transcendent way. And so Hegel believed that he was the alpha and omega of real history. And I'm going to read to you a quote from one of Hegel's writings. He says, every single man is but a blind link in the chain of absolute necessity by which the world builds itself forth. The single man can elevate himself to dominance over an appreciable length of this chain only if he knows the direction in which the great necessity wants to move. And if he learns from this knowledge to pronounce the magic words that will evoke its shape. Now, I've read quite a bit on Hegel. One of the books I read was called Introducing Hegel. It's kind of, well, as it says, it's a good way to be introduced to Hegel because Hegel is very difficult to understand. But uh, the authors of that book, Spencer and Krauss, they write this about the Hegelian dialectic. And here's where it kind of ties together. Hegel describes it as kind of a ladder by means of which we can climb from our immediate limited experience of the world up to a truly philosophic vantage point. Once we have attained such a properly philosophical point of view, the latter can be dropped or discarded. Hegel insists that the beginning of philosophy presupposes the point of view reached only at the end of the phenomenology. But this latter takes a very peculiar form. In fact, as Hegel himself notes, it's circular. Indeed, in this and latter books, Hegel refers to circles within circles. Mm. So here we have back to the circumpunct, mm -hmm. this calling card of the Nephilim agenda. Now, I picture the Tower of Babel as they're describing this dialectic. You know, it's this spiraling ascension of gnosis. And when you think about it, it really characterizes the structure of most secret societies. And there's this desire to attain higher rational union and the totality of truth that I think, you know, depicts what Nimrod was after just as much as it does what Hegel was after. And it's no wonder that the Illuminati has used this dialectic to manipulate humanity. You see, the dialectic has become this strategy to control the masses. Now, as I mentioned, the dialectic has a thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, but an easier way to think of that is a problem, reaction, and solution. So Nephilim hosts or the global elite, they create the problem that leads to a reaction in the masses and that drives the masses towards the determined or the predetermined outcome that will benefit the elite. And I'll break that down in a minute. But, you know, one of the things that Hegel did as, as how he performed his sorcery is he used language. Mm. And so what happens is, you know, he, he overwhelmed his readers with this indigestible vocabulary, you know, just exhibiting his high intellect. And it left the readers dazed and confused. Well, Vogelin himself, the professor from Stanford, he, he says that he avoided Hegel for quite some time for that very reason, because he's so difficult to understand. But thankfully, Vogelin, you know, picked it up and helped us all understand Hegel. But here's what Vogelin asserts. He says, 
Once you've entered the magic circle, the sorcerer has drawn around himself, you are lost. Now, I would add, certainly lost for a time, yes, but not lost forever, because there is a way out of the magic circle. It's, and then, Laura, just for quickly, like, this is directly correlated to relativism. It's the abolition of absolute truth, right? We're talking about mm-hmm. replacing old paradigms with new ones. These new paradigms are... It's all relativism, so they're they're moving you out of a place of absolute truth, of exclusivism and, and and separatism, where you have these these absolutes to a place of of relativity, which it reeks of of the darkness. Right? You are you recreate. You're recreating. It, it it makes me think of now, just for people listening, like speak your truth, right? Like this idea that like mm. there are no absolute truths. The truth is what you decide it to be, and that is a paradigm shift from the idea of a biblical of a biblical foundation saying these are absolutes this is absolutely true and you are to hold yourself up to this standard instead you become you know it's new age it's it's a, you become the standard you become the, like you said the completion of god and and the, the tower of babel right you continue to go up and you're the idea we talked about this with joel last episode nate of said to make god come down right not that we god god needed to come down to us not not us given our, our, our it's this bizarre moving of the moving the goalposts is what i'm trying to that's that yeah yeah continually well, right think about it too like when we're not firmly on the rock of jesus who is the truth then when the winds and the storms come you know we don't have that strong foundation and so you think about if they can move the masses away from absolute truth into relativism like you're saying then they can unleash Hegelian dialectic after dialectic and move us easily to the outcome that they want. And that's what's so problematic. And I think, you know, that's why it's important that we realize, first of all, what's going on, you know, that we have been lied to. And that's the first step of breaking outside of this magic circle. And, you know, the phrase trust the science that actually, I believe, was a Hegelian incantation. You know, it was recited by Fauci, by Burks, Redmond, you know, the mainstream media propaganda. And this incantation mesmerized people. And so it drew them into the sorcerer's circle and it manipulated them with all the lies that were swirling around in that circle. And I want to read something that Hegel wrote. He says, the Geist, which I should pause and explain that the Geist is considered like the spirit of an individual or also the spirit of a group. Hmm. And so Hegel says the Geist as by unfolding, it comes to know itself is science. Science is the reality of the Geist and the realm it builds for itself in its own element. So here's what Hegel is doing. He's, he's instead of the human spirit being born again by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Hegel replaces that, replaces the Holy Spirit with science. He wants the spirit and science to be one. And tragically, you know, since 2020, the masses blindly trusted the science without testing its veracity. And, you know, we threw out critical thinking skills because fear reigned in the hearts of millions of people. But thankfully, you know, more and more people are awakening to the fact that COVID-19 was a pandemic and that the injection was meant to depopulate. And 
that was part of what Nephilim hosts are laying out. Um, but, you know, now that people are awakening to that truth, we now have all these Hegelian dialectics that are being rolled out in society. And, you know, as part of breaking free from that magic circle, we have to recognize that we are being played like a fiddle. Right. We have to take a step back and understand what these dialectics are. And so I want to take a mm. moment just to lay out over the last three years, what these dialectics are. So in 2020, you know, again, the dialectic, the easy way to understand it is problem, reaction, solution. Mm -hmm. So the problem of 2020, of course, was the virus outbreak. The reaction it caused in the masses was one of fear of pan fear and panic, and so much so that the masses turned to their governing bodies for the solution. Well, in the dialectic, the solution is already predetermined mm -hmm. because they're getting the masses to move towards the end goal. And so the solution for that dialectic of 2020 was the suspension of our liberties to keep mm -hmm. everyone, quote unquote, safe. Now, I want to bring us back to what I said about the Codiceus. Remember, the Codiceus is that symbol for Pharmacia. the medical profession and pharmacology. And its roots are in magic and in casting spells. And that's what happened in 2020. These spells were cast. Mm. Now, I'm not saying if you are a medical doctor or if you're a pharmacist that you are doing witchcraft. Certainly, you know, there are believers that are in those professions as well. But the, the system as a whole has its roots in these things. Then in 2021, the dialectic. We have the problem was businesses, schools, and churches were still shut down. We had limited travel. The reaction in the masses was, you know, this desperation to return to some sense of normalcy. And so, again, we're looking to our governing bodies for a solution. And, of course, the solution that was already predetermined was this vaccine passport. You know, we were told that if everyone just gets the vaccine, then we can move about freely in society. We can reopen society with confidence. Then in 2022, the dialectic, you have the problem is inflation. You have supply chain issues, mm -hmm. and then you have soaring prices in real estate because, you know, a good portion of that is Vanguard and BlackRock are buying up properties all across the United States, driving real estate up. Mm. So what's the reaction in the masses? Again, we have despair, we have fear, and then we have people giving up on their dream of home ownership because they can't afford a home anymore. Mm. Well, this plays right into the World Economic Forum solution, Klaus Schwab's Great Reset, where we're told, you know, we will own nothing we'll be and happy. be happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I think the, the dialectic that's being played out this year in 2023, again, we have inflation. It's worse than last year. Now we have bank closures. And now there's starting to put limits on the cash withdrawals you can make from banks. So what does this create in the masses? Again, panic, fear, despair, worry. Well, it's driving us to their solution, which one of the solutions is the central bank digital currency, the mm -hmm. CBDC, you know, and we're, we're being told that this will benefit the whole of society, right? This will help us, you know, have faster digital payments. It will have financial inclusion and provide financial stability. But we know that it's really about control. 
Because when you look at these Hegelian dialectics and the agenda behind it, it's all driving towards the centralization of power being within one governing body, and that's the new world order. Mm. And this governing body requires complete obedience from each individual citizen. And in fact, under this system of enslavement, the individual only finds freedom through obedience to the state. Social credit credit scores. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that is not true freedom. We know that true freedom comes from, you know, when we place our hope in Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And I just, it's time that we escape the magic circle because what has been happening is they have used fear to draw us into the sorcerer's grasp through this Hegelian, these Hegelian dialectics, but perfect love casts out fear. And so, you know, Jesus has a way out for us. And, you know, even if the very worst were to happen and all the banks collapse and we lose absolutely every penny we have, the good news is that Jesus is our living hope, which means we are never without hope, even though, you know, we're living certainly in unpredictable times, but it doesn't mean that we have to live in uncertainty because Hebrews 11, one, it says now faith is the certainty of things hoped for Mm -hmm. a proof of things not seen. And so if our hope is in Jesus, you know, we're not going to be disappointed, but if our hope is in the security of what our bank deposits say, then we're in for big troubles, I think, heading forwards. And I love what first Peter one, three through seven says, it says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So even though the banks might collapse, this inheritance that we have in Jesus does not perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so we know that, you know, Jesus will provide a way through the collapse of our monetary system. His promises abound and they never fail us. And I think about, you know, the father, he feeds the birds of the air and he clothes the lilies of the fields in splendor. Mm -hmm. And how much more so is he going to take care of us? You know, we're his children. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to give into that fear because fear sucks us in to that magic circle where all the lies are swirling. But instead we recognize, okay, the father knows what we need even before we do. And so when we seek first his kingdom, then all the things that we need are taken care of. And, you know, I, I want to remind us all too, that the Holy spirit teaches us all things. And that's from John 14, 26. And so just like our family did with COVID, um, when the Holy spirit showed us that strategy to take the communion at Passover and put the blood of Jesus on our doorpost, that was his strategy for our family to stay Mm -hmm. healthy and not get COVID. 
Well, ask the Holy Spirit what the strategy is for making it through this financial storm, Mm -hmm. because each person, each family has different needs. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need. And I think, you know, even even if we reach a point where we're in the midst of monetary collapse, you know, the U.S. dollar, like you were saying, Luke, you know, China and Brazil and, you know, all these countries are disconnecting from the dollar. They're no longer trading in the dollar. And that that is that speaks to the demise of our U.S. dollar um, because we've been the reserve currency. But even if all of that happens, we know that we have a hope in Jesus and, you know, he will provide the way through. And I think, you know, even though we're living in what some would say are the darkest times, I also think they're the best of times because I think this will be our finest hour. This is when we get to see the father provide for us yeah. in so cre- such creative ways. I love it. I, lo- I love it. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think it's, it's fascinating, right? Like if we were to look at the, what you talk about the Hegelian, just the connection of these things, the Hegelian dialect for one, if you believe in the Bible, the Bible itself is the infallible thesis. There is no antithesis to this. There is no synthesis. This, this, is, the, this is the truth. And it's fascinating. This, this strategy is meant to make us clamor for enslavement. Yeah. It, it switches around the end game to not be freedom, which would be the, the promise of, of life in Christ is to be is to be free and renewed in a new creation and free from enslavement. But it, mm-hmm. it instead it's 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 to entice and to essentially bait and switch people into clamoring for their own enslavement. And and I I, I think it's fascinating that, that in this circle and we titled on, on Jekyll Island, this magic circle that was created of sorcery, on this was founded the Federal Reserve and, and within these cycles of crisis to solution, which, which is really in, in a way meant to enslave us. If we open our eyes, we can see that, that this, is, this, is, this is a tool of the darkness and, and we are to instead put our thesis into the infallible nature of the biblical, biblical text and, and, and its absolutes. And, and, and I, I love that you draw those two, those two the, the juxtaposition of those, of those two things because a lot of times we live in this in this space of we are in this swirling, you know, ever moving goalpost that's meant to to uh, to enslave us, and yet we can break we can break through and we can break free from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it because I I see all the all the themes on our show all the time from episode to episode is that it is two kingdoms at war and one kingdom you know will use you and you get nothing in return, you know, and it's like you know. Like one kingdom will provide you to have to sacrifice your own children to it, and then you get nothing actually from it. Ultimately, you know, you just get more enslaved. And then the other kingdom is God's going to provide His only Son and sacrifice to bring you into the family, and you get all the rewards, and you get to be back in the family. And um, it reminds me of just like last night thinking about just kind of what Judas ex- experienced. I was watching The Passion. Just, just, just rewatching it, and then, you know, ultimately Satan uses you, and you think you're gonna get something from it. All these world leaders, they think that they're gonna get something from all, all this corruption, and they're just being used, and they're not gonna get anything from it. It's really sad, but ultimately he just he's driven crazy and he kills himself, and it's like, 
He was used and he's abused. He's thrown away. He's cast aside, and he knows it. Um, and these systems and the, and it, I don't know. I see it all the time, and just the themes. It's just it's it's the opposite. It's the counter. It's the it's it's a counterfeit. It's it looks close, but it's not. And it's the reverse, the flipped upside down version. And and the way that's like the having faith, like you said, even if our monetary pol- monetary our draw- dollar falls apart, um, God will provide. And it's like in that sort of let trusting and that letting go okay god's going to provide some way um we've all had so much control especially in america age of plenty where we've never trusted god in this way because we've always had plenty of money and we've always had plenty of resources we can go down to the store and get whatever we want and it's relatively cheap gas is cheap food is cheap everything's cheap you know i can i can live this 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 nice life but in a way it's so much more of a blessing to to sit back and trust and watch God provide in ways that you never thought he he would and he could. But it's hard. It's hard to live in that space of not knowing. It's hard to live in that area where like, okay, somehow God's going to show up today. And it's not just sitting back and waiting. It's being proactive. But, you know, I, I think of the 10 plagues in the darkness where everywhere the Israelites were, there was light. And there was this na- supernatural light that was that in, the, in the midst of all these plagues, you know, they could see. I think about that. So I think that's going to happen again in some way. So thanks, Laura. Yeah. But you, you told us at the conference how to be a giant slayer. So I'll, real quickly, can you recap this? So if we, are, if we are to be stewards of the land, we are to be called mm-hmm. to, to pray and to redeem those places that we are at, like Joshua, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then if, if, the, mon- if our, the fiduciary system, our monetary system was, was established on a place of defilement. And we are to be awake to, to that understanding that it's meant to enslave. If we are to be awake to the Hegelian dialect, we are to understand that, that they are, it is crisis to manipulation to solution, which is really just a way to move us closer to enslavement. And if we are to break free of this magic circle, the way to do that is to Ask the Holy Spirit and, and what what is true, and to find our our truth in the absolutes of the biblical text and of of the biblical truth and mm-hmm. of that of which is is of Christ and not of the world. And is that a pretty good summary of, of where? That's tremendous summary. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The only thing I would add to what I talked about at BlurryCon is that each of the giant slayers that I reviewed at BlurryCon they all had a pattern in their lives. And that was that they, they spent time with the Lord. They carved out time, mm-hmm. you know, from what they were doing. It, it talks about um, in Exodus, Joshua would linger in the tent of meeting because that's where the presence of the Lord was. So he would linger in the presence of the Lord. And when we do that in our own lives, when we carve out time in our busy lives to linger in the presence of the Lord, we develop that intimate relationship with the mm-hmm. Lord. And out of that comes a desire to walk in radical obedience. So like what you guys do, you say yes to the Lord and look what he does with your podcast. Mm-hmm. I say yes to the Lord and a, a book comes forth. Mm-hmm. And when we walk in that radical obedience, it's because our fear is in the Lord and the Lord alone, mm-hmm. not in what other people think not in the circumstances around us. And that's what allows us to be giant slayers. So mm. I do believe we're headed for um, the collapse of our monetary system. I think the handwriting is on the wall. How bumpy it's going to be, I don't know. But 
what I do want to encourage people is that just as, you know, we've been talking about mm-hmm. the father is so creative in how he provides and we don't, we don't need money to have provisions. Mm-hmm. Like he can feed us from ravens in the sky, just like he did in scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll send our family random things in the mail or the the laptop that I'm using for our interview the Lord sent to me free, my boys couple, this is like five or six years ago when I was right in the midst of writing the roots of the federal reserve, both our boys ordered Xboxes for Christmas with their Christmas money. And what came with that was this Microsoft surface pro laptop. And I was like, did you guys order a laptop? And they said, no. And so we called Microsoft and we said, Look, we got a laptop in addition to these Xboxes. Mm. We didn't order it. Do you show that we ordered it? They had no trace of any order for a Microsoft laptop. It never got charged to any of our accounts. And we asked them, we're like, what what should we do with it? And the woman on the other line, she's like, you can do whatever you want with it. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord provided me a brand new laptop so that I could finish writing my book Mm. and do these things. So that's just an example that... I didn't need the money to go out and buy this laptop. The Lord just sent it to me. So it's a grand adventure trusting in the Father for provision. Mm. So do not fear. That is the thing I want to communicate the most to folks because fear sucks you into that magic circle mm. where sorcery is happening. And you, you, it's like the path that leads to destruction. So don't fear, only place your your fear is in the Lord and the Lord alone. Jehovah Jireh, we gotta mm-hmm. provide, that's who we serve. Yeah, there's so much, there's, there's a th- thousands of stories that we could, we could point to that very thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Laura, I appreciate it. Every time we do an episode with you, it's always just a good reminder, it makes you wanna go out and, and live in a, in a different way. And we do live in a society of fear and it's it's hard, it takes over every aspect because you got bills piling up and you got things that are get broken and sick and and there's just always a bill there's always something you got to pay for and it's easy just to 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 just panic freak out right so i was thinking nate like the pan right there's this idea that this this panic itself comes from yeah from a place of evil it's it's a result of this entity and Lord, Lord, what I love is that, that we can tread in all the darkness and then at the end you always provide us that here here's here is your hope here here is your here is your way out and and here and here's what you can hang your hat on and it and it I think it's encouraging because like like we we've talked about this episode on this episode a few times about how we end up in we end up going to some dark places in this on this and and it and and I think it's to, meant to expose it but also mm. as you listen, we're reminded that we serve the King of Kings, mm-hmm. that all is in His hand, and that He feeds the birds, of the, uh, the birds of the air, and, and, and clothes the lilies of the field. And you know how much more? How much more does He does He care about? It? We have a good Father, and we ask for bread. He's not going to give you a snake, you know, and, or, or or a rock. And if you ask for a fish, He's not going to give you a snake. And that's the truth. And I, I think that's what we hold on to in uncertain times. And, and it's it's the idea that that He's in our boat, and He calms the seas. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think we can li- we, we can live there. And I think you made a good point that you carve out time to spend with the Lord. Or, and, and I think in those times, you remind you that I'm here. Mm. I'm, uh, God who is with us, God who provides. Uh, so 
We love you, Laura. You, it's it's so great to get a chance to to dive into your brain and, and in your research. And big shout out to, again to Matthew Owen for providing yeah. some nug- nuggets for Laura to to, uh, yeah. to extrapolate on. And yeah, we, you know, we can't wait to do this again. Every time we do it, I'm like, I can't wait to get Laura back and talk about the next thing. <laughs> I know yeah, it's yeah. so much fun to be yeah. with you guys. It's always a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, well, if you make it out to Tennessee. Yeah. We'll be here. Make sure you bring Tom. Love that guy. Yeah. And yeah, the and the kids. I will. Yeah, you get great family. The <laughs> Sangers are awesome. Yeah. The, so give our best to the family the and Sanger, uh, the Sanger compound. We'll come hang out. Yeah, we'll come hang out. Yeah, yeah. you guys need to make we, it we out do. to Utah. We do Once need to do the that. Snow melts. Right. <laughs> right. We'll get the dog sled going. We'll get out there. Right. <laughs> That's right. Well, well thanks, well, awesome. Laura. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, absolutely. So good to see you. Love you guys. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.